What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, pulling the goalie. The Senators' fatal flaw moves them off the bet on list to the do not touch list as their goaltending reaches new lows, disappointing bettors and Ottawa skaters alike. A big night on the hardwood in college hoops, but a Seton Hall collapse has us wondering how to handle losses. Short term, medium term, and long term, I'll address that. Then we'll look at the board for both sports on Thursday night. Time to dip our toes into the Pacific 12? It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Let's do that hockey in a little bit, but we're going to talk some college hoops off the top of the show for the second straight day. Talked yesterday about money lines and a tweet that I had gotten from Ryan Ritchie. He followed up to let me know that he went back and looked at my underdog plays and says the majority of the 200-plus-ish underdogs that I had bet on you know, against the spread had actually won outright so far this season, which you know, in a way is obviously surprising and actually a little bit annoying. And I kind of wish I didn't know this because obviously, you know, we've left a lot of money on the table, not betting these underdogs. Uh, But also, you know, when you're having success against the spread, then, you know, that is an indication that you're relatively dialed in, which is why, you know, talking about it yesterday, these two things are kind of one and the same, right? You're not, you know, you're probably, if you're having good success betting, you know, plus sixes, then, yeah, a lot of them are probably going to win on the money line, right? It's those stretches when they're not, when they're not only just not covering, but they're also, uh, I should say, they're not only just not winning outright, but they're also not covering. And so, you know, that's pretty wild, but I thank him for sort of um, tracking that. Uh, Let's hope he's got that same energy when the, uh, the losses pile up, because you know that they do. Not necessarily the case last night, as we do a little Don't Look Back in Anger, or the opposite of Don't Look Back in Anger, with the exception of one game. So we go 7-2 and two in college hoops, 5-2 and two on plays that I definitively gave out yesterday on the podcast, two more that I added to the app, uh, Action Network, Matt Russell, The Window Podcast, not hard to find. Um, but, you know, I, talking about how, okay, I'm going to add, maybe there's four more games that I'm going to add. I mentioned all four games. Those games went 3-1. and one. The two and two of them that I actually bet went to the app. So hopefully you caught that at seven and two. Delighted, right? Seven and two college hoops night. That's outstanding. We would take that every single time and twice on Wednesdays. Uh, but one loss is sort of sticking in the craw, right? Because you have all these games and some of them come down to pretty close, you know, right on the number. Are they going to foul? Are they going to not foul? This, that, or whatever. And, you know, we got a couple of breaks here. I don't even know if they were breaks, right? Washington State lost by 12. We had them plus 14, like that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I mean, they weren't going to foul down 12. Or, I mean, we've seen it before, but, you know, it wasn't that all that likely. Um, but Seton Hall, uh, plus one and a half, even gets to plus two. So, I mean, somebody out there had a lot of more faith in Creighton than I did. And it looked like my lack of faith in Creighton and my faith in Seton Hall was going to be rewarded as they took a 16-point lead with about 12 minutes to go. And then just wash that all away. And Creighton ends up winning by four. There was even that tease of the like late three-pointer sort of quasi-half-court shot hitting the rim, which would have been an epic sort of backdoor salvation situation. But when those happen early on the night, like, 
yeah, the wins piled up after that. We had an early loss with Miami plus 11, not being all that close uh, against Florida State. Turns out, by the way, if a team is absolutely beating the brakes off of a lot of teams, you should probably just steer clear of fading them for a little while, even if even if the point spread's a little inflated. So uh, note to selves on that one. Um, but yeah, we, we lose that game, then we lose the Seton Hall game, and, you're, and you know, you're sitting there going, you know, we were watching, you're following the games, and, you know, we're in pretty good shape with Virginia Tech, and we needed overtime for Providence, so that's maybe an example of a game that we, you know, it was a 50-50 type game that we quote-unquote got lucky on, but Providence was in control for much of that game anyway. But you're watching and you're going, okay, we're going to go 3-1 and one here after that early loss, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden a game swings as drastically as the Seton Hall game does. And now you're sitting at 2-2. Two and two. And like in sports betting, especially when you're paying you know, 10% juice or whatever, those swings can be strangely painful and really annoying. And we go and we win the rest of the games that night. And from a college basketball standpoint, anyway. And you're sitting there going like, yeah, but, right? Like it could have been eight and one. Like it always, quote, you know, quote unquote, could have been better. And so that's just one loss in a successful night. So, you know, but I think this is the right time to discuss losing, right? It's a little bit easier to discuss losing when you've had a winning night. I had a listener ask me a question that we don't talk about enough, either here on this podcast or in the sports betting community as a whole. And we should, we should talk about this more. So I'm going to address it here and save this segment for future use when maybe we're having a rough stretch or as the podcast gets more popular and people need to hear this. So if you've heard it before, it's because you have, but it's worth hearing again. And the question is, how do you handle losses? And the answer isn't just, not great, or hate them, or, oh, we never lose. The answer is multiple fold. And I think it starts with the word you, right? I think you have to ask yourself, how do you handle losses? Because first and foremost, like, what are you trying to get out of sports betting in general? Because if you're just trying to win money and ride off into the sunset at some point, like that's not really how this works, right? You might have a really hot stretch, but let's be honest, you're not gonna cash out, never bet on sports again, and be like, yeah, I'm up five grand, like I can quit doing this now, because if you're up five grand, you're going to think that you can make it 10 grand. If you're up 10 grand, you're going to think you can make it more. But you have to understand what you're doing, right? You're betting into markets here that are stacked against you from a percentage hold standpoint, right? We could do the cliche of that's why they're building, you know, casinos, you know, Vegas, and, you know, the shiny lights and blah, 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 blah. You're paying for all of that stuff because you are, whether you're playing blackjack, roulette, kino, or you're betting on sports, you are betting into a negative expected value situation unless you are incredibly good at it or have an incredibly deep understanding of it. And so this podcast is here to normalize and promote recreational sports betting. And so when you ask yourself, how do I, you know, your individual self handle losses? That's the main question before anything else, right? Like what type of personality are you that you're able to withstand losing money, right? If you are you know, that type of personality that just cannot stand the idea of losing money and can't consider it a recreational, you know, type of thing, something that you can do for fun, for excitement, et cetera, et cetera. 
if that's not something that is on your mind while you're making sports bets, then this might not be for you, okay? But if you like the sort of self-competition, I always compare it to golf, right? Like nobody cares whether I make a birdie on the fourth hole, but I do because I'm trying to do the best that I possibly can. It's the exact same idea when it comes to sports betting. Now I go and I make that birdie and I feel good about myself and I go to the next tee and I, and I slap one directly into a tree. And now I feel bad about myself. And the whole time I've paid for this experience. I paid for the good parts. I paid for the bad parts. At the end of the day, I paid for some camaraderie, right? To hang out with my friends. I paid for being outside. In this case, you're paying for the enjoyment of a sport, right? This third element of watching the sport, regardless of whether you have a bet on it, right? I could walk around in a meadow all day long and I don't have to pay for it, right? You can watch a basketball game and if you're not betting on it and you don't care who wins the game, like you're, there's still an activity being done there, but you're doing so for free. So you're paying for the excitement, right? You're paying for the challenge. You're paying for trying to drive the ball into the fairway. You're trying to make par, right? You're trying to win this sports bet. You're trying to be correct about the way that you thought this game was going to be, you know, going to go. You shouldn't be trying to win money for the sake of trying to win money. That's not really recreational sports betting. So how to handle the losses? Well, like the recreational element, right? Bet within your means, right? You don't need to bet. Well, certainly you don't, shouldn't be betting life-changing amounts of money. You shouldn't even really be betting money that is going to hurt you when it doesn't work out. And that's different for different people, right? You might be you know, a millionaire and, you know, a billionaire or, you know, whatever, and, and be able to bet hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on a game and not really blink. But that's for you to evaluate. You might be somebody who, you know, works a nine to five in a industry not remotely related to sports, and you just want to come home and you want to put, you know, $11 down to win 10 on a game and you know watch it while you're doing you know some work or while you're playing with the kids or when while you're showing you know your son you know hockey for the first time or you know having him learn about hockey etc you don't want to be throwing your you know glass across the room or putting your fist through a mirror because you lost that game because the overtime goal went the wrong way because the team got a backdoor cover because of a lateral fumble type situ situation so the first piece of advice is bet within your means so that it doesn't matter if you lose one single solitary game. And if you don't really know what that is, I mean, you probably should, right? Like, let's say, for example, you're a $20 better, right? You bet $20 a game, whatever, whatever. I'd like to think that you're a $20 better because you've put a couple thousand bucks into an account and then you're just sort of whittling through that at even at a 50, 51, 52% rate and you're just sort of staying around the amount of money that you started with, okay? So that's, I mean, fundamentally, you know, listen, the goal is to win every single bet, but the fundamental goal of this podcast and for recreational betting as a whole should be that you put a bunch of money in, you use that money to make a bunch of bets, and sort of the worst case scenario is after a year, you're basically sitting there with the same amount of money, right? And you've just had a really good time or a really interesting time throughout that season, throughout that year with that money that you put in. And you could do it with pretend money if you want, but you know that that's not really how this works. 
And so let's say that you do that, right? Let's say that you put a thousand bucks into an account and you're just betting away at $20 a pop. If that $20 that you're losing physically hurts you to the point where it's not enjoyable or that there's a feeling of dread throughout the game, then one, that's probably too much money still for you, or two, the entire act is probably not for you. But if you're doing okay and that's fine and whatever, whatever, but you're still not sure what the amount of money that you should be betting is, I'm going to give you some terrible advice right now. And this is awful advice. Just the worst. Bet a lot of money on one game. And when I say a lot of money, that doesn't mean like <laughs> more, you know, a mortgage payment or something absurd like that. Just three, four, five times the amount that you normally would. So if you're a $20 better, bet $100 on a game. And then experience that. And if you win, that doesn't mean you keep betting the $100. Here's the good advice. Don't do that anymore. Get out of there with that five-unit victory. But if you lose it, now the next time that you lose $20, you now have a framework for what really hurts, right? that you really hurt when you lost that 100 bucks. You can always go, well, at least it wasn't that time that I bet $100 on the Toronto Maple Leafs, on the Dallas Cowboys, right? That's the one that hurt. And you can go sort of up the ladder as, as much as you want, right? If you're a $100 better, try betting 1,000 on one game and then come back and lose a couple of $100 bets and tell me that you really, you know, that you're really upset about it. Terrible advice. Don't do it. But if you cannot wrap your head around the idea of, you know, what a bet means to you and, you know, what a losing bet does to you, these are the kinds of sort of experiments that you need to do. You need to feel the pain of losing a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks when you're a $20 better or you're a hundred dollar better, right? You need to feel that so that it brings you back to normal when you go back to betting 20 or a hundred bucks. Now, the bad news is what if you win that thousand dollars? Now you think you're the guy who can win a thousand bucks, but that's why we track our bets, right? Because you can look back and be like, man, I'm really frustrated because I'm only winning 52% of the time. And if the purpose of this exercise is to sort of understand where you are in the sports betting realm here, winning that game shouldn't all of a sudden mean that that's the amount of money that you should be betting. The great news is it goes into your account and now you've bought yourself a ton of more bets, right? 10 essentially more bets to make at your regular amount that you bet. Secondarily, set your expectations realistically. And that's the point I'm trying to make with regards to knowing that just because you won that one game for a thousand bucks, for 500 bucks, for a hundred bucks, again, say five times the amount that you normally would. Just because that you won that game does not mean that you are now ready to be a professional better. You just got lucky, let's be honest. Because if you're tracking your bets like you should be, then you know that you're good for about 51% or 52%. And that you know 48% of the time that you're going to lose. And that you know that when you made that bet, no matter what the final score was, there was a 48% of the 48% chance that you were going to lose that bet. Understand the expectations. Under, understand the expectations for somebody who's really good at this, right? Professional sports bettors do not hit 60%. Forget 70, forget 80, forget 90. 60% is an incredible record. 
understand that that means 40% of the time it's going to go badly. So set your expectations for 55%. And then once you set your expectations for that and you track your bets, and again, above all else, track your bets, track your record. If you realize that 45% of the time you're going to lose, when you lose one game, you can now frame it a little bit easier where you go, okay, that's just one game out of 100. That's just one game out of 1,000 over the course of a year or two, depending on your volume. So all of a sudden, that just be, kind of becomes a drop in the bucket, right? Oh, I lost. Okay, that's fine. But you know what? The idea is to go 55 and 45 out of the next 100 bets. And this is one that we lost. We knew that there was going to be 45 losses in this 100 bets. We knew that going in. So why get worried about it? Over the course of your lifetime, if you want to just keep betting on sports, you're probably going to make 10,000 plus bets. So if that one loss is now just part of 4,500 losses over the course of a period of time, it's a lot easier to swallow when it comes to that. From a midterm sort of loss standpoint, right? That's the short term. That's, oh, I lost one game. How do I get past that, right? And the answer, the easy answer is just flush it. It's over. Right? Again, it's one of a thousand bets that you're going to lose if you want to do this as recreation for a long period of time. From a midterm loss, right? Streaks. We're talking about, oh man, like having a rough week, started out this season four and ten, for example, um, you know, had a rough weekend in the NFL, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, right? But normally, because you're tracking your bets, you know that you're going to hit it a 52% rate and you go okay this is just a bad streak what do i do how do i handle this bad streak my advice to you would be sit a day out right take the wife out for dinner take the kids to the i don't know what people do with kids but they do stuff with them and i've seen it um drop your bet amount you know because I know when you sit a day out, you go, well, this is the day that I'm sitting out that I'm going to do really well. And, you know, you'll probably look at the scores and in retroact, you know, retroactively, you're going to be like, oh, man, I would have won that game. I knew that team was going to win. Oh, that team's OK. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Drop. Maybe you just still keep betting, but you drop your bet amount, but drop it by about 10 percent. Don't drop it by a half. Don't drop it by, you know, don't drop it to 10 percent of your normal bet. Drop it down 10 percent to about 90 percent of what you would bet. Because that way, if you win, you're still like, oh, okay, like got back going here. We can have some feel goods here uh, having won. And if you lose, you have a losing night, you didn't lose as much as you had the day before. Because again, this is part of a negative streak. And then maybe the next day is the day that you sit a day out. How about dropping your volume? Well, just sort of mentioned that, right? If you want to drop your volume, you're welcome to, but you need to have to, you know, you need to try to avoid the fear of missing out element to when you drop your volume or when you sit a day out. So instead of, you know, sitting a day out completely, maybe you would have seven plays on a Wednesday for college basketball. Well, let's knock it down to the three best plays that we like the most, but track the other four plays. Don't just have it, right? So that you go, oh, yeah, I would have gone three and one on those four plays. Write down what your picks are for those four games and then consider them bets, right? Sort of consider them locked and loaded before the, you know, the start of the game. And that way, you know, okay, did I really miss out on a specific, you know, win here? Did I really miss out on a 4-0, you know, subset of games? Did I really miss out on a 3-1 and uh, type of night? Long-term, long-term losses. How do I deal with long-term losses? Well, the answer is 
you know, when we're talking about that thousand bets, if the answer is, well, I'm only hitting 45% of those thousand bets, that's a reevaluation time, right? Reevaluate how you do things. Are you just throwing darts? Are you putting in enough research? Are you understanding what you're missing? Right? And I know that's the trickiest thing because how am I supposed to know what I'm missing? Like I'm missing it. That's the whole point, right? And so you have to, you know, try to look to other people, this podcast, other podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, for what they're doing, right? If you're listening to this and you're like, I have never really thought about that angle with, you know, we could be talking about the NFL, could be talking about the NHL, whatever, then that's something that you've been missing, right? So what are you missing? Are you doing enough research? And do you fully understand how the numbers are made? How these markets are made that you're betting into, right? Maybe your long-term you know, success is not very good because you just keep betting favorites because you don't understand how the markets work, how they're preying on public perception, where there is an edge versus where there isn't an edge. Do you understand what, that no, you know, what these numbers imply, right? We talk about making your own numbers before the game starts because that gives you at least a vantage point from the other side of the counter, right? If I put, you know, if I'm Cleveland Browns against the, you know, Kansas City Chiefs, right? Obviously a playoff matchup from last season in the NFL, but even if that's just a regular season game, you go, okay, how are these numbers being made? Well, I know one thing. I know that people love betting on the Chiefs. I love betting on the Chiefs. So what is it going to take for me to not bet on the Chiefs in this game? Is it going to take 10 for me to not bet the Chiefs? Is it going to take me 11? When is it going to get to the point where I would bet the Browns in this game? And that's a decent starting point too, right? What, what is it going to take for me to bet the underdog in this game? Also, if the number isn't particularly low for you wanting to bet the underdog, understand that other people are thinking of the same mind. Because, unfortunately speaking, we all kind of think the same way, by and large, when it comes to sports, right? It's most of the time, you know, obviously outside of individual, like who's better and who's the greatest and all of that BS. When we're talking about teams, a lot of the times we all just kind of agree. Kansas City Chiefs are a really good team. You know, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a really bad team. They made it to an AFC championship game a few years ago. Still didn't change the perception on the Jacksonville Jaguars that, it, that they could possibly ever actually win or be, be a successful franchise. Now, it didn't help that they ended up not being very good and you know dead last in the league in this past season. But the point is, is like we all kind of think the same way. And so if we're all thinking the same way on an underdog, then there's probably some value on the favorite. And so then the question is, well, what's it going to take for me to lay points here, whether it's a basketball game or whether it's a football game? If it's a hockey game, you have to think about differently. You have to think about prices, right? What's it going to take for me to bet this team? And you don't need an elaborate model to sort of figure that out. You can do that just pen and paper. You know, when the Red Wings play the Tampa Bay Lightning, what's it going to take for me to bet the Red Wings here? Am I going to need two to one? Am I going to need two and a half to one on my odds? What's the number going to take? And then you look and you find out what they're offering, and then you can get an idea of what the valuation is. So it's understanding how these prices get made. It's understanding, are you doing enough research, right? Like 
the research part is the trickiest one because we just you know we're in this sort of COVID-19 era where at any given time somebody could be out that we had no idea we watched their previous game they were not injured in any way shape or form we we're even reading reports from practice early in the week and there's no indication that this person's injured and then all of a sudden you know we've gotten the best of the number the night before on the opener we beat the market we're getting a point two points closing line value and then an hour before the game it's announced that this person's not playing star player not playing and you go there was no amount of research that i could have possibly done but more often than not when you're putting in the time to do the research on this stuff it's going to pay off more often than it's going to screw you if you will right and so when we're talking about long-term losses you need to reevaluate how you do things because obviously it's not working now you can keep smacking your head up against the wall and keep you know i always call you know dart throwers right but like if you don't understand how these markets are being made where the value lies here on a thursday night game in the nfl because one team lost four days ago and the other team won four days ago and people are gravitating to one team don't be one of those people who are gravitating just blindly to that team if you're doing enough research and if you're understanding how the market works then you can go ahead and make an informed bet and maybe you're along the lines of the quote-unquote public as gravitating to that team but I think oftentimes you're going to find that going against that sort of quote-unquote public side is going to create a little value, right? Maybe it's getting plus three and a half instead of plus two and a half. Maybe it's getting plus seven and a half instead of plus six and a half, something along those lines. So there's no answer as far as like, well, how do you, how do you stop the losses? Well, the answer is pick more winners. But how do you do that? And those are the ways to do that right give yourself the best possible chance to win these games right whether it's short term medium term or long term understanding what losses mean to you and how you can reframe those losses in your mind are what's going to help you become a better recreational better enjoy the process more. And I don't mean just watching the games, I mean researching the games, making the bets, and tracking the bets, right? It has to be an all-encompassing type of thing for you if you're going to really enjoy this the way that you're supposed to, the way that we want you to, as a recreational better. Shout out to Hal from Lexington for that question. As for tonight, let's try to keep the losses to a minimum. To be honest with you, there's not that big of a board for college hoops tonight. Only one play that I would, you know, definitively bet here. But as we expand our college hoops repertoire, there's also three games that I'm interested in in the Pac-12. The one game that I would bet, I think I would play Rutgers. I think I'm going to play Rutgers at minus three against Michigan State. Michigan State coming off of a layoff. Rutgers, it had gotten pretty rough for them. Big win at Indiana. And I think this team is going to get a little revenge here against Michigan State after losing relatively convincingly in East Lansing early on in the season. The three Pac-12 games to keep your eye on, essentially all the underdogs in Oregon State at USC, Oregon State plus 12, Stanford plus 8.5 at Arizona, a game that I would bet if I had a better grasp on who was definitively going to play for Stanford, and then Cal plus 8 at Arizona State. And so the reason I like all three of these underdogs you know, Oregon State played uh, one, I should say. I was going to say they played well. They played well enough to win. They beat USC um, early on this season. The line was right around the same. I think it was maybe a point or two difference. And so now you're getting them plus 12 against USC. 
And so I would make that play. And then Stanford plus eight and a half. Again, you know, big win, quasi home win. Wasn't at home because they play in like the Warriors practice facility, if you didn't know, which is insane. Um, against UCLA on Saturday in overtime, extremely shorthanded. Now, are they going to get a bunch of guys back? Are they still, are those guys still going to be out? I don't really know what to make of this, um, but I would normally be happy to fade Arizona at any kind of a significant number, and I think eight and a half is significant. And then Cal plus eight against Arizona State. Arizona State just lost back to back to Arizona. The wheels are falling off uh, in Tempe, and so getting eight points with a Cal team that you know not a particularly talented squad, but has shown some ability to scrap it a little bit. So not necessarily betting those. Um, but just keeping our eye on them to to try to you know get more um, you know familiar, if you will, with the Pac-12 in you know under the framework of betting these games. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Thank you, Laszlo. Time for a little let's do that hockey, and we'll start with Ottawa, Vancouver, and I'm sure the people out in BC were thrilled to have that game start at five uh, local time. Uh, so the people back east could watch the hockey game at a reasonable hour. And what they would have seen was essentially a tale of three different periods when it comes to, and, honest, and honestly, basically a summation of the entire Ottawa Senators season at this point, particularly in the first two and a half minutes. Senators basically dominate the Canucks, and it's, you know, as the as in hockey parlance they're buzzing um right they have all kinds of jump and and they're dominating play they're spending the entire first two and a half minutes in the vancouver zone and then vancouver gets the puck and for literally they're in the offensive zone in ottawa's zone for like three seconds and it's shot rebound goal and that's it all of a sudden ottawa's down one to nothing but they keep you know churning they keep being dominant, essentially five on five, end up the first period eight to one in high danger chances. The one high danger chance was that rebound goal, which again, if you had competent goaltending, would have never happened. And so, you know, Ottawa adds a goal and it's one one after the first period and they're dominating eight to one. And if you watch that first period with any kind of brain, you're sitting there going like, oh, Ottawa's going to win this game. They're the much better team tonight, et cetera, et cetera. All right. And the first, the second period starts, and the first like five minutes of that, you're watching, you're going, yep, still more dominant play from the centers, still more dominant play from the centers, and then one rush, and Vancouver scores again. And you're just like, wow, okay, you've played the better of the two teams you know, for 25 minutes, and you're down two to one. And I know from experience and just sort of my, you know, low-level hockey life is as a skater, as a forward, you know, forward or defenseman doesn't really matter. When you're dominating play like that, and you look up at the scoreboard, and it's two to one because the two times that the other team essentially skates down the other ice, the puck goes in the net. That's incredibly deflating. And I think that's what happened in the second period as Vancouver then takes over, scores two more goals. They're up four to one, 10 to one in the high danger chances for that period. But you look at it and you go, okay, well, through two periods, Ottawa had nine high danger chances. Vancouver had 11. Not exactly a massive discrepancy, but you look up at the scoreboard and it's four to one. Not that much different than the first game between these two, two nights ago. And by the end, time of the end of the game, you know, rolls around, ends up being five, one, nothing really happened in the, in the third period, pretty evenly played period. And you look and you go, okay, well, what are the metrics, right? Let's always, we always want to know, like, did we get a decent number relative to how the two teams played five on five? And Vancouver had 55% 
of the expected goals for. They had 55.5% of the high danger chances. And when, you know, we're taking that into account, we're sitting going, okay, so like, let's give them a 60% chance of winning any game where they sort of have both of these categories in their favor, but not necessarily dominated. Well, we bet Ottawa plus 130, plus 140. And so when we're talking about like a fair price here, you know, I think we got a fair price, right? At 60% here, like that's a, you know, 55% from a high danger chance standpoint, 55% from an expected goals for standpoint. You know, that's about a minus 125 plus 125, right? A, you know, if you bet plus 125 there and, and that was the result of the game, you would be like, okay, that's sort of the, the mathematical version of a coin toss, right? We got fair value. So anything above plus 125 is a pretty good bet. But where's the underlying issue here? And the underlying issue is pretty simple. It's the Senators' goaltending. They do not have professional NHL top-tier or even NHL any-level in the NHL-tier goaltending right now with the two guys that they're running out there. And talked about in the preview how like that's a massive concern, of course, for the Senators going forward or at any point in time. But for betting them individually against Vancouver, who also has bad goaltending statistically, like this would be the one matchup that, you know, okay, the goaltending is going to be bad on both sides. Like who knows who's going to be worse on that given day? Well, it just looks like right now, the way that Ottawa is going, it's going to be Ottawa and it's going to be Ottawa going forward. And so their rating drops because of the goaltending. But the problem is like, I shouldn't say there's no way to effectively rate it correctly, but it's kind of unheard of to be this terrible. So we're looking right now at 23% of the high danger chances that the opponents get. Ottawa gives up a goal. League average is 14. We're talking almost, not necessarily almost twice as much, but in the realm of twice as many as a regular goaltender would actually provide. And so the Senators are going to crank out to be relatively valuable because of their on-ice skating metrics, right? Their offensive creation, um, you know, to a lesser extent, their conversion, because that's obviously dropped in the last couple of games. But their expected goals for is still pretty decent. But their expected goals against is just on the rise here. And the conversion rate is absolutely uh, through the roof. And so this has to be a stay-away team now, not because of the 18 guys skating around every game but from the one guy and it doesn't matter who it is right whether it's M matt murray or hoberg that you know got the start yesterday and looked legitimately surprised when the puck hit him uh, they just ha you know it just has to be one of those where it's like it kind of doesn't matter where the value is because the value is going to be on ottawa again tonight right again at plus 135 plus 140 something along those lines the value is again going to be on ottawa but like you're going to rely on the goaltending they might swarm Vancouver again for the first 25 minutes of this game, but it would be positive that the f seven shots on goal that Vancouver had through 25 minutes of this game are, you know, are you convinced that there he's going to stop, whoever's in that is going to stop all seven of those? I'm not convinced of that at this point, right? Like eventually, it's not just eye test, like the numbers are there. I just quoted the 23%, but like eventually you just go, yeah, this is this season is going to go down the drain for the Ottawa Senators, despite all of the good things that they're doing five on five when it comes to their skaters. And so 
they have to be a team that we are steer clear, you know, that we have this asterisk ne next to. And if they ever made a trade or something for a good goaltender or just even just a league average goaltender, I think we would see an incredible amount of value and actual results to go along with that value because, you know, we can keep banging our head against the wall here waiting for somebody to make a save. And again, you can do the thing where it's like Matt Murray won a Stanley Cup or won two Stanley Cups, but like that's just not what the numbers are reflecting at this point in time, right? Like who cares? He doesn't get to bring the Stanley Cup out onto the ice with him and, you know, kneel it up next to a post and have the lower half of the net covered, right? Like that's unfortunately that's not how it works. And so again, just got to steer clear of the Senators here, which is disappointing because that should be a team that has, that gets us underdog wins, right? That has value, that gets us into shootouts with plus money, that gets us, um, you know, uh, the occasional like plus 200, plus 180 type of victory that we saw early on in the season when we backed them to beat the Leafs in the first game of the year but when we're sitting around looking at matt murray and his minus 6.52 goals saved above average and at this point i still rather have him in than the other guy like that's pretty grim so uh speaking of overtime games and taking teams with plus money into overtime kind of uh, a different take here on the Chicago Nashville game we go to overtime again with Chicago uh, Patrick Kane I believe it was hits the post three on three in overtime with a, a relatively wide open net and the game goes to a shootout and of course you know what happens there Nashville wins the shootout because we don't get any of these sorts of breaks in this extra time but we point is we went to overtime we went to shootout with a team that was plus 150 so again Kind of a broken record here, but over the long haul, right? These are the types of things that are supposed to work out to a degree of at or around 50%. And it's just not, that's just not how it's working so far this season. And you just sort of shrug it off and you go, you know, you know what? Pretty good bet. That being said, uh, wasn't the same situation as say like, you know, Florida and Columbus uh, a couple of nights ago where, you know, we have the better team throughout the entire game and then we go to overtime and... Fortunately, we end up winning that shootout because like we were we had the right side the whole way from a metric standpoint, which again is the whole point of the model. All we're trying to do is predict who's going to play better five on five relative to their price. In this case, Nashville, 57% of the expected goals for 57.9% of the high danger chances. So they were the better team in this game, but to a degree of about fair odds of minus 135 plus 135 well we got plus 150 so we had the best price the better price given how the game actually played even though nashville was the better team they just weren't better enough to legitimize their price of minus 170 minus 175 again goes to overtime which would you and, and a shootout which would you rather have you know, Team A at minus 175 or Team B at plus 150. Obviously, we'd rather have Team B at plus 150. It just didn't happen to work out for us in this one. So Thursday Night Plays got four previews up on the Action Network app, so please check those out. Uh, we'll start in the North Division here, Calgary and Montreal, and I talk about the concept of home ice here. And, I mean, really, obviously, the concept of essentially the, my ratings relative to the home ice concept. Now I have Montreal rated as the best team in the Canadian North division, right? Which isn't all that surprising. I liked them a ton to start the year. Many people did, 
the rating might be a little bit high at this point, given the fact that you know they've taken advantage of Vancouver at a pretty poor time for them, and um, also what was it Edmonton um, winning two games there. And, you know, they're undefeated in regulation. So, obviously, there's going to be a lot of excitement for Montreal, and they're favored, and it makes a ton of sense. And part of it is, though, I think, to the degree that they are favored, is because they're returning home to Montreal. And the idea that, like, oh, they're back home, like, this is going to be great, whatever, whatever, like, that's built into the line here, and I don't think it should be, because this is still an empty Bell Center. This is a Bell Center that they haven't played in in essentially, what, over 10 months Almost 11 months now. So is it really home ice advantage when you never actually play there, right? They played a bunch in Toronto during the bubble last year and have started the season with six home, uh, road games. So is it, you know, is there a comforts of home thing? And there's certainly not a crowd element to it. So why would I build anything into home ice advantage here, even though people are getting excited about the idea, or at least I think they are, at least I think that's why this line is a little out of control. I think people are getting excited because, oh, Montreal's finally at home, like they're just automatically going to play better. Well, bad news is, as much as we liked Montreal last year from a metric standpoint, like they were under 500 at home, and they were actually over 500 on the road. They might just be one of those teams. So I think there's value here on Calgary plus 110 or better. You can certainly get that uh, relatively easily. So I'm rolling with Calgary. Again, you can check that a little more in depth and a little more eloquently put um, in the Action Network app um preview uh ottawa and vancouver just talked about how like listen values on ottawa can't bet it cannot bet it with these two goaltenders until we see them play even at league average um edmonton and toronto also another bet that's uh, available on the action network uh, preview i should say that's available on the action network app um this one, I think, is a toss-up game. This one, I think, is a pure pick I expected this line to be the minus 110 on either side, and it's not. Uh, Toronto, obviously, getting a lot of credit for their win streak here. Was it three games, four games, something along those lines? But I talk about in the preview about how in their eight games, only two of them were they, the definitively better team, five on five. And the last time we tried to make a bet based on what we thought the power plays were going to do, was Edmonton and Toronto, thinking that Toronto was going to have the edge on the power play. And then Edmonton was the only team that had a power play goal in a one-goal victory. So, you know, again, we've learned our lesson there. And now we're getting Edmonton at plus money here, plus 110, pretty widely available, if not plus 105, for a game that I have lined minus 110. Now, again, we're talking about just percentages. We're always talking about just literal one, two, three, four percentages here. So if you can get a coin toss game, uh, with better than a coin toss price, we're going to take that here with Edmonton, I think, in a really good spot for them to bounce back. As for the Central Division, we get the return of the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina, obviously some COVID issues there, uh, missed, what, I think more than a week at this point. Um, and of course, Tampa kind of dragged into that, uh, having not played since Saturday. I don't have a play for this game. Um, the line you know, is veering towards Carolina as profitable, but not to the point that I can rely on it given the time off that both teams have had, right? Like, I think there's about a, like a 1%, 2% edge here for Carolina if you can get plus 120. Um, anything higher than that, obviously the, the price increases, but I just don't know what to make of Carolina. This is, you know, one of very few here 
opportunities, if you will, or examples of a team coming off of a COVID layoff, right? Dallas's season started later because of a COVID issue, but it wasn't necessarily a stop and start type of thing. So I'm going to stick, stay, steer clear of that. Florida and Columbus preview on the Action Network app. But I will say, this is a simple situational type thing here where Columbus has played increasingly better or more you know, more better. Uh, they've played better than the average team has in these revenge second game of a you know, quote-unquote doubleheader, so to speak, a back-to-back. So I think Columbus here... On the surface, you look at it and you go like minus 110, like Florida's the better team. I have Florida rated as the better team, but I think that's a little inflated because they played Chicago a couple of times and then obviously beat Columbus in the last game in a shootout. So I expect a much better game here from Columbus. And in general, we've seen that it's about a 9% bump if you've lost the first game into the second game. If you were around the same as the other team like if you played about as well as the other team or if you played worse than the other team you get a bump that second time around it's where if you're the better team and you lose in the first game that's a you blew it situation that was your chance to win the game and you don't have that same likelihood of playing as well the second time around so i'm on columbus here that's in the that's in the action network previews um minus you know essentially anything better than minus 120 um, shouldn't be an issue there. You'll get a better price than that. And then Detroit and Dallas. And this one is, again, another Action Network preview, the fourth and final one of the night here that I've written. And this is pretty simple. Like, these two teams played, you know, as constructed, played basically dead even in that first game. Uh, game goes to overtime, Dallas wins, and we were getting plus 185 on Detroit. Uh, are we going to get that again? It's going to depend on who's in the lineup for Dallas because Dallas is missing three of their best players. No Jamie Benn, no Tyler Sagan, no Rupe Hints. And now if they're getting those guys back, obviously that has to be reflected in the price. Or you know, let me put it this way. The price was plus 185 with those guys out of the lineup. If it's plus 185 with those guys out of the lineup, this is another bet that you absolutely have to make and take your chances with the big underdog. If these guys are back in the lineup, then the price needs to go up above plus 200, or at least you would think it would be because it was plus 185 without them. So with them, it should be higher than that. And so maybe the adjustment has been made in the marketplace where you're still only going to get plus 185 with these guys in the lineup. And at that point, right, it becomes a bit more of a crapshoot because we've seen how Dallas plays with these guys out of the lineup, which is to say, uh right? About league average. So for me here, this is like, wait and see, wait and see, wait and see, and then make the adjustment based on who's in the lineup, right? So if it's all three guys are in the lineup, and we're still only getting plus 175, something along those lines, then you probably stay away. But if it's a massive adjustment because these guys are in the lineup, or there is no adjustment with these guys being out of the lineup, and you're still able to get plus 170, plus 175, God knows plus 185 would be great, then I think it has to be a bet on the Detroit Red Wings. That's a wrap for this one. Tomorrow, no NFL to talk about on a Friday show, so I think we'll look into the college basketball futures market, see if there's anything that sticks out to us there. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.